Well, the regular season is over, but that does not mean that football has ended. Welcome back. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure alongside Michael Molinari, our producer. We finished 14 weeks on the road, fellas, calling games in the Pac-12 networks. We got the Pac-12 title on the horizon, potential CFP, Rose Bowl, and crazy chaos among Pac-12 coaches, let alone coaches around the country. So, I hope you're doing well without preparing for a game this week, Ted. I just want to check in on you, man. How you doing right now? Hey, listen, it was a we had a phenomenal year with our crew, with Michael and staff. It was just it was it was fun, and I think it was great that we finished with two rivalry games. I mean, look, honestly, neither of the games was you know scintillating back and forth, but there was drama involved in both. We saw Cal win on Stanford's field. We saw Oregon hold off in a game that they probably should have won by three touchdowns, but they didn't, and give Jonathan Smith credit because the Beavers, as they did all year long, they fought, and then they hung, and they pushed the Ducks into the fourth quarter. It's that frustration for Oregon State because we saw it Saturday. We watched them walk off the field, and it's the last game. It was the last game for seniors. Cal, we watched them win so that they know they're going to play on and play uh, and play more. Now, we're all stunned because of the news that we hear on Monday morning as we're getting set to record here. The news coming out of Washington stuns us. I'd agree. Michael, how how you doing? I know, you, I know you're like on the road to a basketball game, but do you, do you take a minute and just kind of pause on how amazing our season was? Oh, absolutely. It was two words. Satisfaction, because I've really been doing the Pac-12 eight years. A lot of us have been together for about 13, and to a person – just about everybody agreed this was our best season. And the best season is a combination of what happens on the field, of course, but how you cover it and what we do to enhance the stories. And overall, top to bottom, virtually everybody felt this was our best year. So that's incredibly satisfying. And then it's a little bit sad because I don't get to see the people I've been seeing for the last 14 weeks in a row who are like a second family. And we're not all going to get together till uh, maybe some of us will be at the Pac-12 tournament in March. But as a whole group until August. And uh, it's a little sad, but the satisfaction definitely uh, overtakes the sadness because it really was a great year. Yogi, I see Molinari Wednesday in Utah, okay? (laughs) Yeah, I get to see Ted a lot. I just sub Yogi for Bill Walton, and we just keep rolling. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell how excited I am? (laughs) Well, I will say, as we put a bow on our season, for me, it was, uh, and I've told you guys both this, it's been the most enjoyable year of my career. Um, and the double digits now in broadcasting, I think this was 11 or 12. And Ted, you know, you've changed my life. And Michael, being able to work with you every week has been just a joy. And I know I've gotten better at the craft, but I've really just enjoyed the friendships as everybody's developed. And I'm bummed that we're not preparing for another game, but I want to rewind the clock because we were there for the first game of the season for Washington and the third game of the season for Washington. And we met and talked to Chris Peterson. That's not going to happen anymore. When that came across your phone, Michael, I'll start with you because you always have great questions for these head coaches in the meetings. What was the first thought that that came across your mind outside of just the shock of Chris Peterson resigning? Well, I think why? As of this moment, I'm not sure we know exactly why because he's so passionate about what he does. It's, It's shocking to me that he would just step back, but I'm sure he has his reasons and I'm sure his the weeks and months go on, we might learn a little bit more, but I certainly hope the best for Chris Peterson because he's always been great to us. Well, as Michael said, we were all stunned. I, I'm, I'm less 
stunned about the news as I am about the timing. And I know we both communicated with some people in Seattle before we started doing this. And, uh, and it was confirmed, at least to me, and I'm, I'm sure you too, Yogi, it was confirmed that, yeah, look, this was not, Chris Peterson was not going to be 72 years old coaching UW. He had made that very clear that it's now as opposed to two years from now or three years from now, maybe that caught people, certainly seemed to catch people off guard, caught me off guard. I, I would just say this. I am thrilled that Washington, because of where Chris Peterson has restored the football program, I'm thrilled that they were able to have this transition happen in the space of one morning with no drama to have you know an in-house candidate who's more than qualified and ready and Jimmy Lake take over and just look, let's let's face it, look what's happening in this conference. Washington handles this smoothly and cleanly, even though it's stunning to a lot and not going through the drama of USC. I think that's great for Washington that they're able to execute it this way. Cosign, you know, Jen Cohen's a, a rock star among her contemporaries and anybody who's around her gets how dialed in she is as an AD. I think on this for Chris Peterson, I go back to the day he was hired. Pac-12 Network sent me to Seattle. I did the first sit-down interview with him, and I had talked to people who had played for him, coached with him, and everybody raved about him. And after just one conversation, and since then to now, I've gotten to know him, I, I think, extremely well. You know, he's let me talk to his team. He's let all of us inside the inner workings of his program. And I put him in, at least for me and my experience, in the same uh, conversation as David Shaw and Pete Carroll. I mean, they're just one percenters uh, as humans. Like the character of him to me is higher than majority of coaches, let alone people in high performing cultures. And he's never sacrificed that. And I wonder, and, and I, I can't wait to talk to him about it, but this coaching thing, you get about seven weekends off all year long and four of them are in the month of July. You know, there's just a grind to this where when you lose, like there's really no source of joy. And I think for Chris, like you just watched his face the year went on. It just seemed as though like, man, maybe he just needed a break. And and I'm glad that he took it because how easy would it be to take a paycheck and just be a figurehead and maybe not pour in like he's accustomed to pouring in to his team, to his staff, to his programs. But he said, you know what? I'm going to take a break. And his quote from the press release is recharge. And after talking to some people, he made his decision. He wanted to keep it quiet so he could talk to the team. And he did today. And that was the point. And again, a class move. And then to keep it in-house, you know, to a guy that he trained and saw it two years ago when he made him the DC and trained him to be a head coach. I applaud the move. And I applaud him for having the guts to step away. And and I hope we see him back on the sideline, man, because I just think he's great for the game. I just said every time, probably most listeners know, we get an opportunity to speak to not only the head coach, but the coordinators every Friday for our football games. And every time I finished speaking with Jimmy Lake, I said, this guy's going to be a great head coach someday. Well, I guess we'll find out, but I think they're in great hands. All right, Michael, here's time for you to be the expert. Is Chris Peterson going to be on somebody's set next year? Uh, do you know what? He showed a lot of personality in that, that video they made of his boating to work that was on the internet, uh, more personality than I've ever seen. So He's got some personality, so I think he could be an asset for somebody. It's whether he wants to do it. Yeah. It, it's a mixed bag because Chris Peterson, I'm being selfish. If he were on our network, I'd be ecstatic. I think he'd be a great asset. The difficulty becomes if you do that job, then, as we're seeing this year with the, the, the Meyer guy, then you're out there and every week. You become, okay, which job is he going to take next year? Right. And that's the world in which we live. So half of me 
because I have so much respect for Chris Peterson. And, and like you, Yogi, I being in the Bay Area, I know a lot of people who played with Chris at UC Davis. There were a lot of people at Stanford that long wanted Chris Peterson to be the Stanford football coach. I've heard so many respect him so much. There's a side of me that hopes he stays away for a year and just does what he wants to do. Do what Chip Kelly did before he took the ESPN thing. Chip Kelly took some time and traveled around and sat, visited other other camps and went around and talked to other coaches that he respected. But I, I hope he doesn't become the coach of the week derby. You know, okay, which job is Coach Pete going to take next year? Yeah, well, I mean, I think if we look at his history, right, he is, he's so not about the drama, right? I, so I, 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 I'm with you. I hope that doesn't happen. I mean, think about it. Within three seconds of him resigning, my phone blew up with every SC person saying, is, is, is this just a deal to get him to SC, right? So, I mean, that, I think that's going to happen. I think what's really cool, though, if we go back, I think it was two years ago, Washington announced, uh, and I'll, I'll probably not get the name accurate, but it was a form of a leadership institute within that institution, within that program. You know, we always hear sometimes coaches staying on as administrators and teaching a leadership class, right? We hear about that with Urban Meyer, of course, at Ohio State. You've seen that other places. I think Chris Peterson, he cares so much about kids and the game that I could see that really happening and him pouring into it. He loves that region. They love him. It's not like the fans went sour on Coach Pete and what he did, um, which usually happens at most places when coaches resign. So I, I hope that happens for him because I, I do think he's one of the few, like if we had a commissioner of college football, Chris Peterson would be perfect. You know, and and I and I and I would love to see that because I do think that his expertise and of course experience within the craft. Look, look how gross recruiting is now, and what he's had to deal with there. With remember, he had a kid two years ago, guys, that was committed, was in the summer bridge program, taking classes, about to go to camp. He said he needed to get home. He was homesick. Chris said, "Go home, get right, and come back." Three days later, he's in training camp at Alabama. Right. Like you can't tell me that that can't just wear on you or you're doing everything above board. And all of a sudden, just gnarly things happen, which are recruiting. You know, if we're going to be truth tellers. So I think there's a world where he can be a loud voice and help clean up elements of the game. Yogi, that's awesome. And to be followed through, maybe on the point I was raising, I have to be very clear. Chris Peterson stayed at Boise State a long time when he had an awful lot of opportunities to step into the what's now called the Power Five. He had family reasons for staying. He had personal reasons for staying. Obviously, he did a great job at Boise. And so this is not a guy who's been looking to better deal. I, I want to make that very clear. That's not who Chris Peterson is, unlike the guy who's been on the set of Fox this year, who is a better deal coach, there's no question. That's, that's Chris Peterson's credit. So anyway, Michael, make this happen. I want Peterson on our set next year. That would definitely about, be a lot of fun. I tell you what, that would be a lot of fun. How about a three-man booth? That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Us three every weekend, along with Chris and, Peterson. You and Pete, and who else, Yog? <laughs> you know that answer. Come on, baby. Come on. All right, so that's that's uh, the first down. And for those just listening, we appreciate it. And uh, I got to say, Michael, I just keep hearing from you. We talked to Bill Riley in Salt Lake City on the radio earlier. He was asking when the pod was going to drop. He wanted more Molinari. So I'm going to go to you first on our second of four downs. Pac-12 championship game. We just called the Civil War. Said how I had an up-close and personal look at the Oregon team. Senior night, Justin Herbert. We've seen Utah countless times. Last year, we called the Utah-Oregon game. Uh, so what are your initial thoughts about this game played on Friday night at Santa Clara? My initial thought is Utah looks incredible on both sides of the ball, and they're probably playing as well as they've played all year. It looked to me 
that Oregon's had some struggles, definitely had some struggles offensively in our game. Um, special teams really bailed them out. So on paper, on a neutral site, I would think Utah handles them. I don't know if they handle them easily, but I think Utah is going to handle Oregon. Now, that being said, Justin Herbert finds a way to make some passes that that nobody can make that aren't really that just he beats the Utah defense on his own with his receivers. I think he could get in a run. He can get streaky and Oregon's got a shot. But I think it would take an incredible, amazing performance from Justin Herbert for Oregon to have a chance. But I think all things being equal, I think Utah handles him and maybe moves on and gets a chance to get into the playoff. Hey, so here's the other deal, guys. Uh, as I'm sitting about 12 miles from Santa Clara in my home right now, it's miserable here. We have gone from summer to winter in about four days. It's supposed to rain all week here, as it is doing now, and it's going to be cold by our standards. Friday night's forecast is for cold and wet. So does that lead us you know, to a 10-3 game like last year? Oh, I hope not, just for the sake of argument purposes. I don't know that. I, I don't know if it's miserable if you t- if Oregon's defense, for as talented as they've been, their numbers are impressive. You know, you talked about a lot in the broadcast what they did against Oregon State defensively. I don't know if you can hang all game with Zach Moss and even Tyler Huntley's legs. You know, I just think that that dimension in a bad weather game is advantage Utah, you know, and and I just think for them, you know, we just got off before this, uh, before this podcast recording, listened in on the teleconference with Kyle Whittingham heading into the title game. He talked about his defense. They've played 600 odd snaps this year. That's about 120 less snaps, majority of teams. So that's like two games or more or less than everybody else. So they're going to be fresh. I say that because I just think that this team overall they're just going to be primed in, in that type of environment. I think to, to beat them, Justin Herbert's got a deal. I think if they're just going to run all day long and it's going to be that type of game, I think it totally leans in Utah's favor. This feeds a little bit into my frustration again. And I spoke to Rob Mullins about this with, with, with Yogi uh, just before Rob came on the uh, pregame show from Eugene Saturday. And I, I said, you know, look, I just don't want the playoff system. I think the playoff system is great as a concept, but I don't want it to diminish regular season play. And he admitted that. Um, and here's the other thing I don't like about it is, is everybody in the conference rooting for Utah Friday night? Because it would give the conference its only chance to get a team in the CFP. And if that's the case, I hate that. I, I really do. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be out there saying, I'm rooting against Oregon because they have two losses and they can't make it to the final four. I, I, you know, and I, I understand the real world. I just, it just doesn't, I gotta be honest guys. It just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. I'm with you. Go ahead, Eugene Michael. fans aren't hoping for that, but, <laughs> and I, I think I'm sure there's people from the sec who are huge Oregon fans. So there's plenty of, there's plenty of Oregon fans out there, Ted, but I know what you mean. I, I think the only solution to that is eight teams instead of four. And then the, the winner of that game goes regardless. That's another, that's another reason that the eight, team format might eventually win out yeah i hope so that, that's the part of this thing like we're obviously you know gonna if utah wins you know the campaign is on right just like you everybody does that if oklahoma or baylor wins same thing's gonna happen out of the big 12 but you think about like the integrity of the game right ted you talked about the regular season like what world do we live in when you go through 
a gauntlet of whatever your respective conference is in the style of play, because they are totally different in my eyes around the five power five conferences. And you don't get a chance. Like, I just I just don't like that. I think we, we grow up in this world of competition that, you know, if you win, you play. And you win your conference, you should get a shot. And I just, I, I hate it. And I, what I hope happens, right, it's been the Big Ten's been left out. The Pac-12 obviously has been left out. The Big 12 projected. You could say that they're going to get left out. I hope when they meet, uh, I think they'll meet January 12th, like the day before the title game is usually when all the presidents and the people in charge of the CFP link. And I thought last year they would have made a change. And they said strongly they weren't going to make a change. I hope they do. Uh, because it's not great for the game. Like, why are we nixing out a conference? Like, well, just because SEC is loud and, in my opinion, relatively annoying as a fan base, just because Georgia beats LSU, they're going to get two teams in? Like, what world are we living with that? If LSU loses, gone. See you later. I don't care who you beat. Like, you lost the game. So if we want to have the argument of everything's a play-in game, well, if you lose your last opportunity to play, then you are no longer in. And and I know that I'm in a major minority there, but... I just think that that's the purity of athletics that's just getting squashed in college football. Amen. God, I love it when Yogi gets on the soapbox. Michael, would you make sure we have a second one for the booth next year, please? I, I've already ordered one with Sam. <laughs> so here, here's Yogi. You, that last point you made strikes home. And I, I touched on this a little bit Saturday in our game, but I, I spent Friday afternoon with Lou Holtz, which was a phenomenal experience. I did his show for two years way, way back. Um, and we were talking a lot about these sorts of things, Lou Holtz, thankfully Lou's projection is not going to happen because he believed that if Alabama had beaten Auburn and then if LSU had beaten Georgia, he thought Alabama would get into the playoffs ahead of Utah, which of course did not gave me massive indigestion. Um, and so the thank God that's it. But you said this because Notre Dame, and I said this to Lou, Notre Dame won two national championships in his tenure. They won the 1988 championship. And they won the 1993 championship on the field. They beat Florida State head-to-head on the field in November. But the following week, Notre Dame was upset in their final game by Boston College. And the voters gave Florida State the championship, which at the time was a sympathy play for Bobby Bowden. Uh, At the time, he had never won anything and the media. All loved him, so they gave him the title. It was a joke because Notre Dame beat them head-to-head in November, not in week zero. So my point goes to what you just said. If LSU were to lose this SEC championship game, then their their reason to get in is going to be they beat Alabama in Alabama. It's a pretty good case, but it does deny the fact that, hey, at the end of the year, you lost your championship game. And I hope, so to finish this point, what I hope happens, if two SEC teams are in, then Larry Scott and Bob Bowlesby, two men I know well, two men I respect tremendously and have immense respect in the sports world, they need to join hands and just say, this is wrong, that two of the five conferences are excluded, that the SEC by birthright is getting two out of the four spots every year. You can't have that. I, I, and I hope it doesn't happen. If it does happen, then I hope that the two conferences that would be left out, the commissioners stand up together and say, this is wrong. Yeah, I mean, heck, why don't we just let the SEC have their own title game and we'll take the other four Power Five conferences and just go Final Four. I mean, that might be an argument as well. <laughs> Screw it. Let's just go go completely rogue on this thing. That's what the Big 12 and the Pac-12 should stand if this is the case. If two Power Five conference champions are excluded with one loss, then those two commissioners, I hope, would stand up and just say, to the, look, we'll go do our own thing. Then This is crazy. We're, we're not We're not a part of this. 
I like that. Okay, all right, let's get to uh, our third down here. So we got Chris Peterson news. Crazy. Jimmy Lake, congratulations. We got a champ game Friday night. Get your tickets at pack-12.com. Come hang out with us. We'll be there pre-post game in the rain. And then we've got drama for our third down. And this is like a moving target because by the time this podcast airs, you may listen to it. We apologize. There's probably more drama to add to that. But what we know for sure is that Kevin Sumlin is coming back. What we know for sure is that Rob Rob Likens at Arizona State and two other position coaches are not going to return to Arizona State. And we know that nothing has been said about USC. So, And we know that there was a false Twitter handle that came out and said Mike Leach was the name as a head coach somewhere else. That's proven to be false. So we've got fake tweets. we got crazy news. We have some news that's just rumorville. Ted, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts? You know, we're literally 48 hours from the last college football regular season game being played. Well, yeah. I mean, look, this is – again, I'm pulling my soapbox back out. You guys have heard me say this a lot. I, I, I just – the older I get, the less I like this part of the season for this very reason, because people lose jobs, families get uprooted. When coaches are, are in, in Washington's case, this won't happen, thankfully, because it's an internal transition. But if USC does make a change, that's going to affect how many? In Yogi, you know, 40, 50 people, they're going to lose jobs. Families get uprooted in a holiday season. Can't stand any of that. That said, it's all understood. It's an occupational hazard. I'm not surprised about Arizona State. With Jaden Daniels showing the promise he has this year, I, 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 I'm sure Herm Edwards is looking with Marvin Lewis's, you know, guidance in his ear to say, look, we need to have, make sure we take the maximum advantage of having Jaden Daniels for at least two more years, and let's get this offense cranked up and not play the the kind of games they played a little bit, you know, as many close games as we saw them play this year. Um, I, I think it's fair, at least I certainly, this is my own case, I wonder where Cal will go on its offense because they have established themselves so strongly on the defensive side. Is their progress seen to um, to stay the course on offense? And then the flip side of the ball at Arizona, I mean, it's just, it's the defense is just lost and they have to do something defensively. And then the other defensive question that has been probably for most of his tenure, except for the Alex Grinch year, is what is Mike Leach going to do on defense? Um, I mean, there was just there was no defense there uh, the last part of the season at Washington State. And then I wonder, because I'm just saying, watching the rant that we all have seen go viral, you know, my friend Tim Brando pegged him the mad scientist during the Apple Cup game. Well, afterwards, there was a lot more mad and a lot less science in Mike Leach's reaction. So just watching it as an outsider, I wondered, man, that's, uh, that's a harsh reaction uh, to somebody you got to live with up there. So I don't, I don't know what that portends for Washington State football, but it clear, you know, we understand the reaction went viral on social media pretty fast. Yeah, Michael, what are your thoughts on all the changes that are happening and potentially may happen? Well, I, I just I want to give a thought about journalism. I mean, Clay Helton reported by a organization that used to be reliable and respected was gone and then 30 minutes later, completely retracted. You just mentioned Mike Leach with the fake uh, Twitter handle going somewhere. He's actually not, at least for now. It's just, I would say, as Ted said, I don't really like this season. What I don't like is that there just seems to be no journalism anymore. No one's checking sources. There's stuff that appears and as read as fact, and it's not even true. So I just, I just wish everybody would have a little bit of caution as you go to Twitter to find out your news and maybe wait like Washington did 
they put the release out on their website, well thought out, well explained. And uh, I would just encourage everybody to wait before reacting to make sure what they're reacting to is actually actually true. And maybe encourage those tweeting and reporting to check their sources a little bit rather than trying to be first. Instead of being first, be right. Yeah, we're in this crazy era, you know, and I've talked to a lot of the reporters involved. In There's my stuff. soapbox. I, I love it, by the way. Um, and you should teach a class. Maybe next year we'll do that. If we could, Peterson and you teach a little class on Friday before our games, if he's on our crew, it'd be pretty fun. Mandatory um, attendance for me. <laughs> hey, hey, real, real, real quickly, Yogi. I want you to go because you, you're the expert, really, of us on, on the USC situation. But let me just real quickly, Michael, tag Michael's point. Sports Illustrated has changed hands with ownership, and sadly, what everyone feared, we saw the first example of, in that they've lost their standards. Uh, it's it's new ownership. It's the clickbait world. They've taken over a great name in Sports Illustrated, and it was sad to see what Michael um, referenced. And the other point, Yogi, this is where you should run. I mean, I do not know the new athletic director at USC. I've never met Mike Bone. Um, in this era, it is very clear that you need to be decisive. It's what Washington just did this morning. Whatever the choice was, they were decisive. A young man named Luke Del Rio, who college fans will know, Pac-12 fans may know. He went to Alabama as a walk-on, then Oregon State, and then finished his career at Florida. He's a high school coach in Southern California now. His dad is Jack Del Rio. When Jack was the head coach at Jacksonville, Luke, I believe, was in seventh grade. And the story goes, he's in, I believe, science class. And all of a sudden, kids start cheering because they see on their phones on an alert that Jack Del Rio got fired. Luke didn't even know. Imagine if that was wrong, right? Let alone that how jacked up it is that it was right. And that's how this kid, he had to get pulled out of school, get pulled out of class to deal with this. That's the part that nobody thinks about. And the response I often hear when I have this argument is, well, they get paid so much. Well, they're still human beings, right? And they still have kids. And it's like 50 coaches, but it's about 300 odd people. You know, there's a graphic I saw when I went to the SC Coaches Clinic that they had up. Um, and it showed everybody influenced and impacted by every decision that's made within the program, right? From marketing to tickets to sales to children. And I just, I just urge people to hit pause you know, just for a second, because we're on the world where I got to get to it first. I got to beat there first. And I go to even their bosses of like, slow your roll. Like everybody can have a different opinion on the same take if you don't break the news. So th that's my soapbox there. But regarding SC, you know, I told you guys, I think last week, I um, was fortunate to MC their end of the season banquet. 700 people at the Coliseum in the brand new, you know, they have a brand new area there. It's, I forget the name of it, but it's just phenomenal. And we're there and everybody's pumped. Mike Bone's sitting up front. Clay Helton's a few seats away from up front. And the only vibe I have was that everybody in that room, players specifically, felt great about the trajectory of the program. And Athletic Director Bone has, has a decision to make. And to your point, Ted, it just doesn't feel great when it isn't decisive. You know, For me, I wish that they made a decision one way or the other Saturday morning. And I get that they wanted to wait for the Utah game to happen for a title game. But if they were going to keep Clay, if they said it's Saturday, we would have talked about that three times in our game on Saturday on the Pac-12 Networks, let alone every other crew. And that would have aided SC in the recruiting efforts and gotten the buzz going a little bit. Now here we are. It's Monday midday of the week after the final regular season game. We haven't heard anything. And I don't know when we will. And it's not like it's going to kill SC in recruiting, but it just doesn't look clean and crisp and and what you hope to have at a place that you know has had you know 
obviously some dysfunction at various various areas of that institution. So I, I have no clue what's going to happen. I know what I hope happens and what I think should happen, which is to remain with the current staff, or at least the head coach, and if he's to make changes, make changes. But what could happen here is your offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, could go to Texas, and you can start losing pieces of this puzzle if you're not definitive. So I'd expect something to happen uh, sooner than later, one way or the other, and, and I would definitely hope for that case. Well, here's the... Uh... Yogi, that, that's great. And here's the um, a little bit of the humanity moment here on this story was uh, I got to know John Embry, former Colorado tight end and then former coach. Uh, he's now an assistant coach with the San Francisco 49ers. And I've gotten to know Embry the last few years. And he talked openly about the fact he he recruited Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay was, you know, had a great two year run with the Broncos. John Embry recruited Philip Lindsay to play at Colorado, and it was after a home visit on his way back to the office that he got a phone call saying he was fired. So you're just, you just, I mean, this, this is the point of, of letting things linger that it's, it's, it's such a complicated issue. No one's, I think we've all been around long enough. We're not trying to pretend this is simple, but at some point, simplifying it, I think benefits everybody. And that's the story. As soon as you said that Yogi about, the recruiting thing, that's what triggered my mind just now is the John Embry story telling me that last year about, about being fired after making the home visit to Philip Lindsay. You can't, that, that's not helpful to anybody. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, all right, so that's uh, three of our four downs. I, I want to get to just a couple awards, um, and let's have some fun with this. L- let's play the game where each of you get to choose two or three awards that you want to give out based on the season. All right, they could be creative. They could be right down the middle. You can go MVP, you can go offensive player of the year, rookie of the year, freshman of the year. Um, you can go coach of the year, whatever you want. Ted, you can even go true freshman of the year if you want <laughs> to make that one. If you don't know that joke, listen to previous Stanford episodes. Let, Stanford, I'm too close to their campus. They won't let me say that. <laughs> okay, cool. So let, let's go around the horn. We'll go three times. I'll go first. Uh, my first award is I'm going to call it look out for this team in 2020 award. And I'm going to go with Stanford. I like them on the offensive side. They started three freshman off- offensive linemen. I think they played five as, at some point throughout the season. They got Davis Mills coming back at quarterback. They bring back every wide receiver. They played 20 true freshmen. 12 of them burned their red shirts. So it wasn't like 20 of them got four games and that was it. And I think David shot chip on the shoulder. Remember the last time I think they went eight and five. They went and won the Rose Bowl the next year. So I think this is a sneaky team. With now we got different leadership at UW. Who knows what Jacob Beeson's going to do? Uh, Oregon, obviously, is going to lose a ton of productivity with Justin Herbert leaving. Keep an eye in 2020 on the Stanford Cardinal. That is my first award of our award ceremony here. Michael, go ahead next if you want. I'll take an easy one. Uh, interview of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Evan Weaver um, may have two. Obviously, the after the Ole Miss game was one of the greatest interviews I've ever seen in a television show. And then he took it one step further. He made his own, uh, well, with the help of the marketing folks at Cal made that incredible, uh, Weaver tackles everybody on campus video that went viral. So, um, maybe it's personality of the year, Evan Weaver, but definitely, uh, quite a year. And he provided us a lot of entertainment this year. I like that, Michael. Good. Hey, you know, I, we do a lot of uh, talking about head coaches, obviously, and occasionally coordinators get some love. And I, I've thought all year the most unheralded coordinator, and in my mind, probably the guy that's done it 
as good, if not the best job of any coordinator of the country this year is Utah's offensive coordinator. No one talks about Andy Ludwig. And we know how great the defensive stats. I was singing their praise um, as I was adopting my cell-like hell mode at the end of Saturday's game where their defense ranks. But listen to their offense this year. Their offense is 18th in the country in points per game. Utah, 18th in the country, 9th in the country in yards per play, 9th in the country in third down percentage, uh, 2nd in time of possession. That's for you, Chip. Um, and 5th in point per game differential. I mean, these are things we've never thought we'd say about Utah's offense. And so bringing Andy Ludwig back a decade after he'd last been there, Kyle Whittingham, that's the coach, to me, the coaching move of the year. Mm, I co-sign on that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to call this one FYI of the year. For your information, Tyler Huntley was the player of the year in the state of Florida coming out of high school. He wasn't like a kid that walked on and stumbled onto the program because I feel like nobody really knows a lot about this guy. And all he's done is dominate. He's 16 touchdowns, two picks. His completion percentage is through the roof. When you look at the body work for the season, 76%. He's just got great mastery. So piggybacking off of Andy Ludwig, to me, he's the offensive player of the year as well in this conference. But I feel like people just continually need to be reminded of the productivity that this young man had in high school and then the development over the course of the four years. All right, Michael, go ahead. Uh, Singer of the year? How about that? Chance (laughs) Lytle? Another memorable moment, uh, Chance, who's a, a bass opera singer, if I have that correct, actually went out and Ted and Yogi got to see him sing on stage. He was part of our playlist hit, and then we got to show tell that story during the game, um, and it was it was phenomenal. And it's still the six five, three hundred pound guy singing operas. Definitely something I'll never forget. All right, I'll. I'll jump on here with a grow on me award. The guy that grew on me over the year was Anthony Gordon. Um, mm. and just didn't know much. I didn't know much. I mean, I knew his background because he's from the area I'm from and I knew some of his relatives, but I didn't know much about him as a player. And early in the year, um, I, I freely admit that, you know, I've been trained to be not swayed by the, the pinball numbers, the, the video game numbers that the air raid quarterbacks always put up. Uh, and th- those uh, quite honestly, I kind of dismiss those numbers. But then we were sitting after seeing him in person uh, against Stanford a couple of weeks ago, guys, and we're sitting in David Shaw's office and David Shaw unsolicited points out how sold he was after seeing Anthony Gordon face to face. And that really was impactful to me, given my respect for David and, and his view. And it pointed out what we talked about yoga on the pregame show in Eugene that what Cal has done to the air raid to different quarterbacks. And then what Washington did to Gordon uh, in the Apple cup game where he threw 60 plus pass. I don't have the exact numbers here, 60 plus passes, 300 yards and the yard per attempt of under five, which is unbelievable. I mean, you hold the, you hold any offense like that, but the air raid under five yards per pass attempt, that's extraordinary defense. So anyway, the fact that Anthony Gordon got that kind of love over the course of a season, um, that's the guy to me that, that grew on me more than any player in the league. Oh, I like that. Okay, so to me, this is an award, my final award of the 2019 season. I'm going to call it like the teammate award, right? For lack of, I, Michael, I need better. I need Adam Gordon here, our graphics uh, director, to help me out here with a better title. Um, but I say that, and it's a group of players, right? And I'll, I'll give you about five seconds on each one. Michael Pittman Jr. came back for his senior year as a captain, and he did everything a captain should do. 
Vizca Chenault could have hung it up midseason and said, you know what, I got an ab injury, I'm going to the league. He fought through his very last game. And then I go to quarterbacks. Khalil Tate, KJ Costello, JT Daniels, Chase Garbers. These guys could have turned sour, and they didn't. And Khalil played, you could argue, second best game of the entire season in a loss over the weekend. KJ, etc., cetera, uh, being banged up. JT, Chase, they always showed up for the guy who was playing when they weren't. And to me, that, that's what I'll remember most about the careers of at least two of them that will move on from the quarterback position to the next phase of their life. That's a great call, you know, especially with the, uh, you know, the quarterbacks, like you said, especially with like KJ Costello, for example, who has a decision to make. You know, he's got a chance to play another year in college. It's not going to be at Stanford. Or does he try the professional route, which is, you know, as you know, that's a complete, <laughs> that's a complete roll of the dice at this point, given coming off the year he's coming off of. I want to say one thing before Michael does humanity here. Um, real quickly, we go around and we, we didn't get to every school this year, but we got to most everyone. But the, the, the athletic departments, and in particular, the, what used to be called sports information office, and I'm an old sports information student assistant, whatever they call it now, whatever fancy brand name they put on it, the people are great around this conference. They all, to, to a man and woman, treat us as professionals and make our jobs easy. And, uh, you know, again, it would take, it was kind of like calling out our crew Saturday. I need 26 minutes to name everybody, so I can't do that here. Amen. All right, Michael, if you got an award, kick it out and then deliver at least the final regular season humanity moment of the week. Well, you know what? I'll jump on what Ted said. I'll give my last award to all those unnamed sports information directors, the people that help us help us look good every week. Thankless jobs that that just all around all around this pactal footprint. There's people that we've uh, built relationships with that have delivered and make the shows make what people watch better, make me better, make you guys better. So I just want to second what Ted said. Humanity Award, uh, it actually all took place up at the Civil War. Two names that very few people have ever heard of, or those that aren't really close to the Oregon State football program or Pac-12, nitty gritty. But two names you never heard of and a name everybody's heard of. I'll start with the ones most haven't. Tristan Jebbia, who about, I think it was... 15, 20 minutes to air, we found out, is starting his first collegiate game in the rivalry game against Oregon in one of the most hostile environments in all of the Pac-12. And he came out in that first that first drive firing. I think gave that team the boost that, okay, this guy's going to be able to hold, hold his own. And as Ted said, the game probably closer than it should have been, but hats off to Tristan for making it a game that in the fourth quarter was still in question. And uh, it was great to see him rise up. It was great to see our crew rise up with, basically, we had a plan. The plan involved Jake Luton. All of a sudden, Luton was not going to be involved at all. But I thought we made some nice adjustments there in the open and throughout the game. So I was really happy with that. Another name a lot of people haven't heard of, Matt Richards, uh, the official, the white hat, who a game we had maybe a month ago up at Cal Washington State made an unfortunate mistake. But... He came back. Uh, we get to meet with the officials every week before the game, and I had a great conversation with him. You couldn't tell he was bothered by anything, and he went out, and his team did a fantastic job in the Civil War in a game that could get chippy. You're not going to hear any news reports or anything, anybody mentioning how great the officials did, but I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say hats off to Matt Richards for moving on and learning, and really uh, it was great to see that, and I was really, uh, really happy for him. And then the name everybody's heard of, Justin Herbert, final 
home game as a senior, as a guy who decided to come back. For whatever reason, he gave up a lot of money and opportunity to have one more college, one more college season. And we ha- had an opportunity to speak to him on Friday. And I don't think for one second you thought that Justin Herbert had any regrets for coming back for his final season at Oregon. And I think that's a great lesson for a lot of people who lately have made the wrong decision. I think Justin Herbert made the right one, and that's great to see. That's good, man. That is well said. Uh, what a year it has been. Uh, we'll be back next week, though. We'll recap the Pac-12 title game and some more news that clearly will be coming down the pipe. But overall, guys, uh, what, a, what a joyous year it's been. And for everybody loving up this pod, we appreciate it. We got more, so subscribe, rate, review, share. We've given you more Molinari. You asked. We tried to offer. We tried to deliver. Uh, but, fellas, had a great time and have an incredible weekend at the title game and basketball, whatever it is you're doing. Yogi, stay dry. <laughs> yeah. Ted, I'm going to come to your house just in case when I get really wet and cold. I'll just drive over. <laughs> you better. Uh, no one's ever said they're going to stay dry at Ted's house. <laughs> <laughs> the line of the year. Oh, All right, guys. Lots of love. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.